Prepare hearts for the reading of the Word of God. Okay. The first scripture reading will come from Luke chapter 19, verses 35 through 40. And it reads, They brought it to Jesus, threw their shoes, cloaks on the road, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples, I tell you. He replied, If they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. This is the reading. Amen. And the church said, Amen. Uh, good morning. Am I on? We're good. All right. Good morning. Uh, we have a number of events for you to invite friends to over the next couple of weeks for the Good Friday service, Easter Sunday, the Faith and Doubt Forum. I uh, had a neighbor, he comes over to our house and uses the um, water on the outside of our home. His water doesn't work in his home. And he came over the other day and I invited him to come to church. And uh, this is a man probably in his 60s. And he just looked down at his clothes and he went like this. And he said, I can't go to church like this. And I said, you need to come to my church. I said, because on a Sunday we have people who dress in their finest and we have people who probably wear clothes like you. And it's okay because we come together as a family who centers our lives around Jesus and it doesn't really matter what you look like. And, and I believe that to be true, so I hope I don't set you up for letting my friend down if he comes next week, right? But I, I trust that we're on a similar journey together. Uh, there are times that I visit hospitals, uh, and there are times I go in to visit a new baby, a newborn that's been born in the life of this church, and these are some of the best hospital visits we get to make. Mark Taylor and I have the same joke when we visit newborns as we walk in the room and we hold the baby, and that's usually when both of us have the joke of, well, you know, I'm kind of getting over this 24-hour stomach bug. I think I'm fine now, but... Um, and there are times I go in that room, and I, I hold a newborn, and there, there's joy, and there's celebration, because there's new life. I mean, it's a kind of room that can turn atheists into believers. And then there are times, like, when I'm on my way to those hospital visits, if somebody had a baby in Methodist Germantown, I may check the prayer list, because... Uh, sometimes we have babies born in East uh, Baptist East, so I'll check the prayer list. Do we have anyone else in those hospitals? And, and sometimes what I'll do is I'll walk into Methodist Germantown, I'll see a newborn baby, pray over that baby, and then I'll walk across to another wing of Meth Methodist Germantown, and, and there will be someone else in the life of this church or someone else I know, and they're about to go into surgery, or they just received bad news, or they've been told there's nothing we can do. And, and, I, and sometimes I, I visit hospitals, and I feel caught up in like these mixed emotions and competing experiences. I, I, one of my best friends and mentors, Mike Cope, when his daughter died when she was quite young, one of his best friends was having a baby in the same hospital. And they had a lot of friends who ran in the same group, the same small group. So their friends are in this hospital where they're going to one room where a child is dying and then they visit their best friend in another room where a child is being born. And do you ever feel like you're caught in between emotions and experiences? Because one thing about the church, the way God has set it up, is the church is a place of mixed emotions and competing experiences. 
The church is a place of mixed emotions and mixed experiences, where even in this room right now, there's some of you who have celebrated your highest high, like great victories and breakthroughs in your life, and some of you are at like the lowest point in, in your life. And there are times where a church, where I acknowledge that there are these mixed emotions, mixed experiences, competing emotions. And I feel these days the most on Mother's Day, Father's Day, uh, New Arrival Blessing Day, on Thanksgiving and Christmas. These are days where I know some people are celebrating and some people are feeling a, a great loss. And sometimes it can make for really awkward dialogue. Because if you're walking down the hallway and you bump into someone or you're walking past them and you say, how are you doing? You expect them to say, fine. You, usually your answer is, I'm doing just fine. But what happens when someone says, I'm not really doing well? And then it's awkward because what do you say? I'm praying for you. I'm on my way to get my kids from toddler time. I, I was expecting you to say you're just doing fine. And sometimes it's awkward because we come into a church or we bump into people and we're dealing with great pain and it's, it's hard because what if we go to church and people ask me about it? I don't want to talk about it. What if people ask how I'm doing and I'm not doing fine and it comes across as whiny or that I'm needy or that I'm ungrateful or what if I tell them I'm, I'm not doing fine and then they start asking me questions about, uh, about my life and what they can do for me and it can make for really awkward dialogue. Can the church be a place where those who are celebrating great victories in your life can stand in the presence of those with great pain and still share your great victories. And people in great pain have margin in your life to hear those stories. And can the church be the place where those in great pain can hear stories from those who are experiencing great victory and that those who are experiencing great victory have margin in your life to receive stories from those who are experiencing great pain? Sometimes church can be really awkward. Sometimes these encounters of mixed emotions can be awkward, but I think sometimes what we call awkward is what God calls church. That it's where these mixed emotions come into the same room because we're centered around the life of Jesus. And sometimes for me, it's around Easter that I experience these mixed emotions and competing emotions and mixed and competing narratives the most because we are so quick to jump to Easter Sunday where there's hope and life and, and resurrection and Jesus defeated the grave and we want to live and respond from Easter Sunday because there's hope that flows from it. And, and after all, we are a room full of Christians who the Easter Sunday has transformed all of our lives. It's the whole cosmos. Everything has been changed by it. But before you get to Easter Sunday, there's Jesus who experiences anger in the temple when he overturns tables. There's moments in the garden of great despair and intense prayer time. There's Passover. There's triumphal entry. All of these emotions. And maybe before we get to Easter Sunday, Jesus wants you to be fully present, to know God is still present in the midst of gardens where you go to pray. When we come around the table, when we experience betrayal, all right, so this morning, we want to take you on a journey. I'm going to divide this sermon up into a couple of places. If you're listening to this online or on a podcast, hang with us, all right? We're, it's going to be a journey that feels a little choppy, but we're going to, we're going to get there. Because sometimes this is hard. Because sometimes we come into a room and we sing songs. And I know the Lord revealed to me some immaturity years ago that there were times I would walk into a church and uh, if the songs matched the emotion of my life, I would sing them. And if the songs did not match the emotion of my life, I wouldn't sing them. 
If I liked the songs, I would sing them. If I didn't like it, I wouldn't sing. And what the Lord started to reveal to me in my life, and I believe it was a step in maturity, is there are times where you sing songs to God and for God and from yourself, and there are times we sing songs to God with other people because they need to hear us singing the songs along with them. So sometimes today, you're gonna, we're going to sing some songs that are more high energy and full of joy and life, and you want to stand on your feet, and we're going to sing some songs that slow it down a little bit, and more like a garden kind of feel. And I just want to invite you, however you want to express yourself, whatever posture you want to take, will you just engage in these songs? Because even if it doesn't fit where you are in life, it fits someone else in this room, and the fact that you sing it along with them ministers to them. Uh, So let's start just for a moment with the triumphal entry. In Luke chapter 19, verse 11, uh, what it says is this, is they were listening to this, all right? Jesus just came out of this encounter with Zacchaeus. He's about to tell a parable. As they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable. And and here's two really important things. Because he was near Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. In Luke chapter 9, verse 51, there's this shift in that gospel where what happens, it says Jesus set his face on Jerusalem. So from Luke 9, 51, all the way up to this moment, Jesus is making his way to the city of Jerusalem, a city full of so much prophecy and hope. And that's where the promises of God are going to fall and descend and where it's going to flow from. So Jerusalem was a major city. And not just that, there was this anticipation that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. So the Messiah comes, appears in Jerusalem, boom, the kingdom of God comes. And then you get this triumphal entry of Jesus riding on this colt, coming into this city. Now, in in Luke's gospel, he doesn't mention palm branches. Matthew and Mark do mention palm branches. But the streets are lined with people. There are palm branches. People are laying down their clothes. And this wasn't uncommon. Like emperors and kings would do this. When they came back from victory, they would step on a a stallion or or something. They would ride into a city where there's this victory parade. And Jesus is coming into Jerusalem riding on a colt. And here's what's really interesting. Now, Luke doesn't mention this, but in Mark's gospel, when he talks about the triumphal entry, it says that the crowds were with Jesus and they were following behind him. And Mark also notes the crowds were in front of him. And I think the reason the crowds were in front of Jesus marching into the city is there were people, even disciples, who thought they knew, they thought they knew exactly where Jesus was marching to. He was going to the palace, to the temple. He was going to set things right, to conquer the world. He said he's the Messiah, the Son of God. So they thought they knew exactly. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. He's taking a left. He's going great, straight to the palace. They weren't expecting Jesus to take a different turn. They would lead him straight to the cross. We got to be careful sometimes in our lives. That sometimes I think we get out ahead of the plans of God because we think we know where God's going. Because why would God not want to go the way that I think God is going? And then God takes this turn somewhere else in a different way. And I love how Luke talks about it because there were people in Luke's gospel, the Pharisees, who were like, will you tell people to be quiet? Like, quit shouting these hosannas and quit having the kids dancing in the streets. Now, sometimes we're hard on the Pharisees. Maybe the Pharisees were telling him to be quiet because it was getting too loud and if... If the Roman people in Jerusalem 
heard what's going on, they're going to not just take out Jesus, but take out all of us. But I, I mean, I think the main reason the Pharisees are saying this is there are people shouting things to Jesus that he's not the king, he's not the Messiah. And when they did that, when they did that, Jesus' response was, if they are quiet, the stones are going to shout out. Because for God, there are days where, hey, if you, if you don't want to sing, the walls, the stones, the rocks, the mountains, something's going to praise God today. And why should it not be the people of God? Something's going to praise Him. Today is a journey. So I'm going to step up a couple of more times and take us on this journey that leads us all the way up to the garden. And I, I hope you can come back Friday night to experience Good Friday. And I just, before we begin singing this next song, I want to give you permission to feel and to express whatever emotion you have in your life. That there is no emotion you are experiencing right now that the grace of God cannot hold you through and sustain you through. There is no posture expressing the emotion you have that you could take in which the hand of God would refuse to come down into your life. So however we want to place ourselves before the Lord, let's do it. Let's join in these songs and, and continue to engage and participate in this worship. Can we stand up? Let's stand together and let's sing. The second reading will come from Luke chapter 22, verses 14. Through 23. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks, and he said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink it again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks, and he broke it. And he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant of my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe is that man who betrays him. They begin to question which of them among them who would do this. This is the reading. Amen. Uh, it's known as the Last Supper, all right? And it's told in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, have a version of the last meal of the life of Jesus, and the Passover. It's the night before he was betrayed. Uh, we're in this series called Risk. We've been in this series for about six, six uh, weeks. And what I want to lay before you today is that, as I mentioned earlier, sometimes we want to jump to Easter. The risk is can we follow God into narratives to fully experience how Jesus has revealed himself, that the stories even leading up to Easter may not just be stories to study as if they're history, but stories to be experienced and reenacted to see what God's up to in them. Uh, and here is when Jesus reclines at the table. Now, artists for years, for centuries, have painted this. I bet you have seen, if you'll go to this next one, this is Leonardo uh, da Vinci. I, I bet you have seen uh, many uh, artists throughout the years. You could just pull it up on Google Images and see all the artists who have betrayed the Last Supper, having Jesus, and a lot of them, it's more modern, like they're sitting at tables, in chairs. Some of them have 
dogs there because why would dogs not have been at the Last Supper, right? Uh, and this is Jesus' last meal. Now, uh, you realize that most of us don't get to choose what our last meal will be before we die. Uh, and I, I know in a room this size, we have people with the different beliefs and convictions about the death penalty, and I don't want to make light of any form of death, but people on death row are some of the only people who actually get to choose everything they want to eat before they die. Most of us, death comes as a surprise, or by the time we die, like we've lost an appetite. But people on death row get to choose exactly what they want to eat before, before they die. And these amazing menus, it amazes me. That, I mean, could you think right now, like if you knew you had one more meal to eat, what would it be? And now you're going to start having hunger pains heading up to lunch today, all right? Thanks a lot, Josh. I mean, I think about it just, I mean, right now, saying in front of you, if I had one last meal to eat, I know I would have Gus's fried chicken would be there. There would be some central ribs, half wet, half dry, because that's how I roll, all right? I would have some bacon-wrapped shrimp from, from Papa Do's. I would have some beef fajitas from Lupe Tortilla, a restaurant down in Houston. I would have a Mexican platter from Mi Tierra, a place in San Antonio. All that would be, if I ate all that for lunch today, it would be my last meal, all right? <clears throat> uh, and the cross was a form of a death penalty. It was a place where you weren't just killed, you were humiliated before you died. And this is the last meal Jesus eats. The last one we know he eats is at the Passover. Which makes you think, like, did Jesus choose to eat the Passover? Or did the Passover, like, choose Jesus? There's so much fulfillment of what happens in that moment. And there are a lot of things that the Passover is about. I know some of you in this room, some of us have experienced Passover meals. Hopefully, you, you have a chance, either this week or in the years to come, or you can do that, just to, do it, to experience what a meal was like. Because Jews and Christians have, have celebrated this for many years. The Passover is about God's story past, present, and future. Uh, it's about what God has done in the past and what God is doing in the present, and it's about future hope. Uh, for Jesus, this would have been probably his 33rd Passover meal. Now, the Passover was about God's story, but the Passover was also about who you ate the Passover with. It was about the people that you got to participate in this meal with. So uh, now I, I didn't go back and look through the whole Bible, but I don't think you'll find anywhere in the Bible where someone celebrated the Passover alone. Now there are times when it comes to communion, you may be confined to a, a, your own house or a hospital room, and there are times when it's us alone, but it, really anytime you take community out of communion, you, you miss so much because when it comes to celebrating the things of God, like the Passover and what the Passover has led to, it's, it's not just this connection with us and God, it's who we get to do it with. Because it's reenactment. If you go back and read what people and how they were supposed to celebrate the Passover and what they were to say, the language was we. We were slaves in Egypt. We were delivered by God. Hundreds and thousands of years have gone by, but it's like our story. Like we're taking ownership of it. It owns us. We're part of it. So it's about God and God's plan. The Passover is about who you got to eat with. It was about reenactment. So this meal that would go on, go on for hours, the last night before Jesus died on the cross, is Jesus with his 12 around a table where 
for Jesus, it's not just celebrating the Passover. It's that this night, uh, very soon, he's going to become the Passover lamb. He's going to become the fulfillment that even he participated in for years. In Luke chapter 22, verse 14, it says, Jesus, they reclined with him. It's not Jesus reclining with them. It's they are with him. Because Jesus is always the host of the table. Sometimes I think, uh, and I pray these prayers occasionally, where I'm like, God, we just want to invite you here. And I know what I'm saying to God, and I don't think God looks at me as like, you know, you're just ignorant. Because I think a lot of times God's response is, you don't really need to invite me, I'm here. Like, you don't even invite me to the table, I'm already at the table. But in Luke 22, 14, you get the sense that Jesus is claiming ownership as the host, even though it's not his house. He's the host of the meal. They are with him. This meal had a history. It was a night that would bring everything to fulfillment. And this night, as they partook of the Passover lamb, Jesus knew he was about to become that. Now, the Passover lamb, a lot of times, even when we come to the, to the Lord's table, it's about, we often treat it like a sin offering. That Jesus died so our sins could be washed away. All right? There is language and a place for us to talk about sin offerings and having sins that are forgiven. But in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when it comes to the Last Supper, Matthew's the only one who mentions the word sin. I'm not saying that the power of what was happening in the moment in Jesus' prophecy and what he was doing, that sin wasn't present. But the Passover lamb wasn't a sin offering. The Passover lamb was about covenant. It was about entering into covenant. Even the language Jesus uses when there's the bread and the cup is, this is a new covenant for you. And we've talked about this before in here. You've heard me mention this. I often mention this in weddings, but the power of covenant, which is hard for us to understand, is what would happen, and this goes all the way back to the book of Genesis, that what would happen when people were making a covenant with each other is they would take an animal, they would slaughter it, kill it, <clears throat> they would slice it in two, put one half over there and one half over on the right, and then you would walk in between this animal that had been split in two, and you would say, may the same thing happen to me that has happened to this animal if I break this covenant. So so you think God takes covenants pretty seriously? All right, but when God establishes the very first covenant with Abraham, you only have God walking through the middle. And I think God's saying way back in Genesis, something about who God is, is that when it comes to covenant and covenant keeping, God's going to hold up his side of the covenant. And it's, God's approach to life and to you isn't like God's going to go halfway and you need to meet him halfway. It's that God's going to hold up his side of the covenant and God's going to come and help you hold up your side too. But Jesus is inviting people into this covenant. That here's what the bread, the cup, the Passover is all about. God is establishing covenant. He has provided a way, a path for us to walk, to enter into this relationship. When you see the Last Supper, Jesus is the primary voice who talks. And people around the table listen. And in, in, in Luke's gospel, though, the only time the disciples talk is to pretty much lie to Jesus, saying, we'll never betray you. Or they talk because they get in the disagreement of who's, like, no, I'm Jesus' favorite. No, I'm his favorite. And they start arguing about who's the greatest in the kingdom. And the table goes so much better when we decide, hey, you know what, today, I'm not going to do all the talking. I'm going to let Jesus talk. Because when Jesus talked at the table, at the Passover, he declared the story of God. 
and he revealed his own character. He revealed what it was he wanted. All right, so we're going to sing a song, and we're going to move to the table today where Jesus is the host. And I want you to think about this as I lead us in a couple of prayers for the bread and the cup in just a moment. What is it Jesus is declaring to you today? And how does Jesus want to reveal himself to you? So let's sing this song, and then we'll come around the table. Can you hear me? Okay. I don't know about you guys, but my heart is so full of joy. And after seeing that video, it makes me be so proud to be a part of this family that does so much for the community. I'm almost too emotional to read the scripture, but I'm going to try to get through this. (laughs) Um, The final reading will be from Luke chapter 22, 39 through 44. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew, withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Thank you. Amen. Um, So I I would like to think I'm a cheerful, joyful person and preacher. Uh, Occasionally, I've had people come up, and they're like, why do you smile so much when you preach? And I didn't know if to receive that, if it was a good thing or bad thing. I wasn't sure. And I like to leave you with messages that may not uh, be feel-good sermons, uh, but I like to leave you with a lot of hope and joy to live into. And and hopefully it'll be some of that. But I want to leave us with a story in the garden today, which sometimes isn't the best place to leave leave people, but I think it's where where some of you need God to lead you. Because here's how the last week of the life of Jesus goes for me. I love the triumphal entry because I love victory. And I love thinking about how Jesus brings victory. I I like reading the stories of Jesus combating the Pharisees and Sadducees and teachers of the law. Because I'm like, yeah, go get them, Jesus. Because he's just wearing people out. Anybody wants to argue him, argue with him, you're going down when it comes to arguing with Jesus. I I don't mind seeing Jesus flipping the tables and and trying to uh, cleanse the temple. It's... And the Passover is great. I love Jesus at the table. And then I just want to skip from there to Easter Sunday, to resurrection. Because when it comes to the garden and even the cross, things are dark. Yet some of you, when it comes to the garden and how you see Jesus pray and the intensity and how he puts his whole body into this prayer time with the Lord, it's permission some of you need that Jesus can meet you in the garden. He can lead you to the garden. In Luke chapter 19, verse 37, and in Luke chapter 22, verse 39, the Mount of Olives is mentioned. It's part of the triumphal entry story. It's also part of the garden story. Now, quickly, the Mount of Olives was called the Mount of Olives because there were a lot of olive trees there. And from olive trees came olives that would be used for a number of different things. One of the, the reasons was it would it be made into olive oil. So when Jesus was being anointed with oil, most likely it was olive oil. I'm not saying the oil that he was anointed with came straight from the Mount of Olives. But sometimes we get the visual, and you've seen movies of Jesus, that when he's in a garden praying, he's in a place with trees and maybe bushes, and he's, uh, there, there's grass, and it's dark. But where he was praying within the proximity of where he was praying, there would have been these large like cement blocks 
that were used to crush and grind olives. It would press them. They were olive pressing machines. It would press them so that oil would flow from them. Now, get your minds just around the image and the thought of Jesus praying to God that God would take a cup from him, knowing what, was, what he was about to endure within 24 hours, and then looking up and seeing these machines that would press oil, knowing that the same thing was about to happen to him, where he was going to be pressed. And that from him would come this oil and this anointing that would bless the world. Uh, And then there's the thought of God working in and through the people in this church using your pain to bless the world. Can you believe that today? That your pain can be used to spread life. From your pain, God can enter into it and use it to anoint the world. So Jesus is in the garden, and he's praying. And in Luke chapter 22, verse 41, it says he knelt down and prayed. And Matthew and Mark, they use images of that Jesus threw himself on the ground, that he was deeply distressed and agitated. I don't know if you've ever had a prayer time that that was so intense that uh, your emotions were stirred. There have been times when I've been, I've been in a prayer time, even right here in this room during the week, that I, I leave this time with God that was so intense. I go home and I'm like physically sore because of a posture I felt God called me to for a while as I was interceding for people or reflecting on my own life or that my, I was pacing with such intensity as I prayed. Jesus is throwing his whole body into this prayer time, knowing what was in front of him. Knowing what he was about to endure, it was intense, it was emotional, and the grace of God was going to carry him through all of it. Let me speak just a word of darkness, because some of you may feel like you're in a place of darkness right now. Not all, some darkness is sin-induced. Not all darkness is sin-induced. Some of you are in a place of darkness because you've made decisions that have stepped outside of the boundaries God has created for the beauty of life. And repentance needs to be your way of reclaiming life with God. Some of you are experiencing darkness, and it's not sin-induced. It's because of tragedies or loss, depression, anxiety. Maybe you don't know how. Sometimes God sends darkness. Not to put out our lamp, but God sends darkness so that he can release us from unnecessary burdens, that he can slow us down. In the 16th century, there was a guy named St. John of the Cross who... Uh, ended up talking about the dark night of the soul. And he described this difficult invasion of God's grace into his life that penetrated deep into his soul. And this dark night of the soul is this phrase many people have used when it comes to reflecting on dark seasons in their lives. That the ultimate test of the dark night of the soul is this. If we immediately run from it, we may miss out on a blessing of God. Because there have been ancient mystics and ancient teachers who have taught before that these dark nights or dark seasons may not be problems to be avoided, but rather opportunities to be embraced. Trusting that God's holding us through it all. So in anguish, Jesus prayed. And he prayed even more earnestly. And then he would wake up and wake up his disciples and then Jesus would keep praying. Laying everything before God. In Luke's gospel, it says that the reason the disciples fell asleep is because they were deep in grief. They weren't just tired. They were grieving. And what you see in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when it's in the garden, Jesus came to them a few times, and the phrase he used was the phrase, stay awake. Some of you may have trouble staying awake right now. 
Some of you are going to sit on a couch in a couple of hours. You're going to start watching the Masters, and you're going to have trouble staying awake. But the phrase stay awake that Jesus used here is not like keep your eyes open and don't fall asleep. It's deeper than that. When Jesus is encouraging them and telling them to stay awake, he wanted them to be spiritually alert. Because there was something God was wanting to do in the lives of the disciples in the garden. So this week, as you reflect on the last final week of the life of Jesus, maybe he's saying the same thing to you this week. Will you stay awake? Get good rest this week, but stay awake. Be spiritually alert. Have your faith antennas up. Be looking for what God is trying to teach you and how he's revealing himself and the journey he's leading us on. And see what happens. I want to ask the shepherds, if you will, go to your places. And the prayer leaders, go to your places to receive people for prayer. We have tables set up. If there's something you would like to write down, feel free to go to the tables. And you can leave your name. You don't have to leave a name. Drop those in our baskets. You'll find those tables available to my left in that middle section, to the right in the middle section. If you uh, need someone to pray with, you see people moving around right now, people to receive you for prayer. If you just need a safe place to pray, you may find a, a pew up front. You can come and just lay yourself down on these steps if you just need a safe place just to go to pray and lay ourselves before God. We're going to end the service singing a couple of songs, and a shepherd will pray us out. But let's stand together.